0: One of the most powerful parts of the book for me was talking about how the potential for closeness is what makes relationships hard and how sometimes when we get so close to intimacy, that's when things get really hard because we have that opportunity to heal. Can you talk a little bit more about that?
1: Yes. Well, go back to the first year of life. In the first year of life, you have the first six months, which is all about nurturing and learning to trust and receiving. The second six months of life, though, you begin to crawl around. You begin to explore. It's a whole different world then. And if you think about it, translate that to the rest of your life. We're always in a process of either getting close or getting individual. Getting close, individuating. Mm. Unifying, individuating. We go back and forth between those two things all of our lives. And the idea in adult relationships is to see them as a process of deepening intimacy and to look at whatever comes up as a barrier to that, and then to talk about that lovingly or lovingly look into it in yourself. But what a lot of people do when those barriers start coming up, they blame it on the other person and they lose the learning potential. That's the reason you can have people go through three or four different relationships, have the same pattern happen, and the person doesn't learn it. Mm. I remember, I call it the greatest one-liner I've ever heard in my entire therapy practice. I saw my first client in 1968, and I saw my latest one yesterday, so I'm still engaged in the process of helping people. I only work with two or three people a week now, but in those way early days, I had a whole school full of delinquents that I was trying to.
0: <laughs> <laughs> you loved them, though. You love our little delinquents.
1: <laughs> I love them. They were very interesting characters I'm to work sure, with. Yeah. I remember one 14-year-old who saw a police car pulled up in front of a donut shop, and saw that the police car's door was open and the two policemen were up at the counter He decided to get in the police car and drive it off, forgetting that he had never driven a car in his life. And he made it about six blocks before he drove the car through the window of a department store. But here's the key thing. On Monday, I'm working with him and I say, you know, like, why did you do it? Why did you, of all the possible things you could have done, why did you do that thing? And He said, well, the door was open. <laughs> and I said, well, okay, well, go at it a little bit deeper. You know? yeah. And he said, well, I knew they had insurance. Wow. You know, so that was the kind of thinking yeah, that yeah. was very popular in the school that I taught at. That's why these kids had been sent there from yeah, yeah. all mm-hmm. sorts of places. Mm-hmm. But anyway, back to the greatest one liner. When I was in my 30s, I was working with a guy who was also in his 30s. I lived in Colorado at the time. And he came in, and uh, first session, and I said, you know, what's on your mind? And he said, well, I'm 30-something years old. He said, since I was 17 years old, I've been through more than a dozen relationships, and they all lasted about six months, and then they all fell apart. Then he said, my favorite line, he said, I'm beginning to wonder if it has something to do with me. Wow. <laughs> this had happened like, <laughs> 12 or 15 times, you know. So sometimes as human beings, our learning curve is very slow before we yeah. say, hmm, what does this have to do with me? It was so simple once he f- just opened up that question, though, because it was a classic situation. When he was six months old, he was mm. the youngest of four brothers. His mother ran off with another man and never appeared again in his life. Mm. So he didn't know who she was, but his father, Kept up this running dialogue. You can't trust women. Women will cheat on you. Women are evil. Just kept this dialogue up throughout my client's life. And I don't know what happened to the other three sons, but this guy had created one relationship mess after another. And they all had that six month kind of a thing to them. Now, isn't it amazing that the human consciousness as an unconscious entity can manifest that over and over again? All we have to do is turn that around and use that same manifestation power to create things we want, Mm -hmm. to create things that are good for us, you know, things that are good for us to eat, people that are good for us to love. In my 20s, I had what I called a very damaged picker. I picked people in relationships that usually had addictions of some Mm -hmm. sort that I didn't know about, you know, and I grew up in a family where there was a lot of secret addictions, I didn't realize the effect that that mm-hmm. had on me till later. It seemed to invite into my life one woman after the other that was either a secret drinker or a secret smoker. The one I was mm-hmm. with before I uh, had that breakup, before I met Katie, was into Valium,
0: and I didn't mm-hmm. really discover
1: it because I'd never taken Valium. And I didn't realize there was these times of the day when she felt a little not there, mm-hmm. you know, and and it was different. I noticed it. just like a person who doesn't drink probably would notice a person who drank even a small amount. But things like that, I realized eventually that was because I had a bad picker. I picked people Mm -hmm. who had those problems to fit my programming. And so that's one thing that anybody in their 20s and early 30s really needs to look at is Mm -hmm. what's my basic program regarding who do I select? Mm -hmm. Who do I pick? What kind of person do I go for? Do I go for a person who enhances my evolution mm-hmm. or one that slows down my mm-hmm. evolution?
0: If you are talking to couples, I'm curious like how you snap them out of the victim loop. Mm-hmm. What questions can people ask themselves, maybe ask their partner to bring to light this power of taking responsibility?
1: One really good question is how is this familiar? Ask the person, mm-hmm. how is this familiar? Because that forces them to say, have I done this sort of thing before? Mm-hmm. And most people, if they're honest, will realize that they're not on their fourth or fifth repetition of a pattern. They're on their about 58th yeah. repetition of it. So that's a great question. How is this mm-hmm. familiar to you? Another question we asked is, where and how did you start seeing the world that way? because oftentimes that takes them beyond the current relationship. Mm. Many people come in, in the early stages of working on their relationship, and they really do think they've invented those patterns. They don't realize that other people have had those same patterns, thousands, millions of people, and have found their way through it. When you're stuck in the middle of a pattern, you don't realize you're stuck in the middle of a pattern. Like one of the common patterns is, I'll use gender language here because it's often 90% men that have this issue. (laughs) He's extremely logical, and she's extremely feelingful. Mm -hmm. And they get into hassles trying to make each other the way they are. He wants to make her a little more logical, so she sometimes remembers where she puts her car keys. (laughs) And she wants to make him a little more feelingful so that He doesn't go authoritarian with the kids or can share when he's scared and things like that, which is often very hard for men to do. It can work the other way. I've seen situations where there's an extremely logical woman and an extremely feelingful man. But, you know, there are certain things that break down gender-wise.
0: How would you know within a relationship that this is an opportunity for us to get more intimate? This is an opportunity for closeness. This is why it feels so sticky. This is why it feels so hard or if something's unaligned?
1: Really great question. We're going to have to go kind of deep for that one because that gets into some (laughs) very deep stuff. Understand that fear Mm -hmm. is a big player in any kind of relationship conflict, that people get stuck at the level of anger, but don't get down to the level of hurt and down to the level of fear, what I'm scared of. When I can get a couple to look each other in the eye and tell each other what they're scared about, we're on our way to resolving the problem. It does no good to sit there and have them yelling at each other with anger. They've done that all the way over in the car. You want to help them get further down the parfait of feelings to what they're hurt about and what they're scared about. What happens in a relationship is you get closer to another person and then a fear comes up. And that fear, there are not very many of them, but one of them is the fear that I talk about in The Big Leap that many people feel there's something fundamentally flawed about them. There's something fundamentally wrong about them. They never had the self-esteem to take on that issue about learning to love themselves. Mm-hmm. A lot of times, the issue that the person doesn't love in themselves becomes the very issue that gets projected into the relationship and projected onto the other person. So when we can get a person down into feeling what they're afraid of and loving themselves for those deep old fears that we carry around, that's an evolutionary move because that takes person out of the anger, the kind of the infinite anger mm. loop, and gets them down underneath it.
0: Thank you so much for tuning in to Morning Microdose by Almost 30. We hope you enjoyed waking up.